guys know that uh, a few weeks ago, and really all of the month of October, we've been taking up what we call an offering fit for a king. And there's still time to get that in if you'd like. There's still some gold envelopes available. Or you could just take a regular envelope and just write offering fit for a king on it. So you still have time to turn that in. But really today was kind of, uh, kind of the last day for it. But you can still get it in. You can go online. You can text it or whatever. But uh, I wanted to kind of give you an update on where we were with that. Uh, so, so far, guys, we have taken up at this campus. Again, we have multiple campuses. But at this campus, we've taken up close to $8,500. Come on, man. Give God a big hand clap of praise for that. You guys have done that. Thank you so much for your faithfulness. I also wanted to give you a big shout out, man, because, you know, we had the drum line in here a few weeks ago, and we said, hey, we want to bless Triple S High School. And so, guys, I carried literally cases upon case upon case of school supplies over to Triple S High School a few weeks ago. We blessed them with that. And then we turned around and we got them a $400 check just for the drum line. So we sent that over there to them as well. So man, you guys are amazing. Thank you so much for that. We appreciate all that you do here, and uh, we're, we're changing lives one life at a time. Can you say amen to that? All right, guys, let's get into the Word today. And uh, as you know, we are in the middle of a series called Difficult People. Difficult people. And through this series, we've been talking about uh, how do we deal with difficult people. And so we've been giving you some basic biblical principles on how to deal with difficult people. We've talked about critical people. Last week, give it up for Sam, man. Sam did an amazing job. Our drummer, Sam preached and talked about needy people or wanting people. Next week, we're going to talk about fake people, hypocritical people. Come on, and we're going to talk about how to minister to them in a way that's glorifying to God. But today, kind of one of the hardest ones of all, in my opinion, I want to talk a little bit about manipulative people. Manipulative people. And again, remember now, when we first started this series, we said that when you deal with difficult people, which FYI, all of us at times can be difficult people. Can you agree with me on that? All of us can. But when you're dealing with difficult people, we said there's two ways to approach this. You can approach it in a godly way and handle it the way God would, or you can approach it in a fleshly way and look at the way, you know, we based off of our feelings, based off of, you know, kind of that sinful self. And when it comes to our feelings, when it comes to our flesh, there's two ways that we deal with it. There's the flight way. So in other words, we just don't want to deal with anything at the first sign of trouble. We, we just exit, we go on, we say, I'm not dealing with that. And then there's the fight way. When we start dealing with difficult people, the blood pressure starts rising, face gets a little red, and everything in us shouts defensive mode. And so those are the two ways that you deal with it when you deal with it in the flesh. And so we've been looking at Jesus because He is our role model, and we've been talking about how was He dealing with these things? How was He dealing with the critical and the, and the, and, and the manipulative and the needy and the fake? How was He dealing with that? And so so we're looking at his life and saying, you know what, we want to do this God's way. So 
With that in mind, I want to get into the Word today and again talk about manipulative people. So let me just do this real quick. Show me, if you would, just raise your hands all over the house. If you know somebody or have had somebody who has controlled you, manipulated you, imposed their will on you, come on, high, high, raise them high, don't put them down. Come on, keep them up, keep them up, keep them up. I'm just trying to see how uh, long I can control you. So anyway... I'm playing, of course. I'm playing. I'm playing. You know, there's an old joke, uh, supposedly, that's going to happen in heaven. And so there was a guy who said he went to heaven, and he saw two lines and two signs. And St. Peter was over both of them. And so he looks at the first one, and there's a sign that says, men who are controlled by their wives. And he looked at that, and he said, man, there were men lined up as far as the eye could see. And St. Peter was there. But then he said he looked at the other sign. The other sign said men who are not controlled by their wives. And there was one poor fellow standing up under that sign. St. Peter goes to the guy and says, man, what's wrong with you? Why are you here? He said, man, I have no clue. My wife told me to shut up and stand under the sign and don't say a word. (laughs) Some of you will get it later. Today, I want to talk a little bit about manipulative, controlling people. And let me just kind of throw this out there right off the bat. All of us at times in our lives have been these people. All of us at certain times have been these people. And and really, if you think about it, this has been something that's been going on since the beginning of time. You can go all the way back in the New Testament to Mark chapter 6. In Mark chapter 6, it lays out a picture of two different women who manipulated and controlled King Herod. And for those of you that know the story, King Herod was throwing himself a birthday party. He's got anybody who is everybody there, all of the dignitaries, all of the high officials, everybody is there. And they had all been drinking a little bit too much. And so Herod had a wife named Herodias. He looks at Herodias' daughter and says, Hey, I want you to dance for all of us. And so she danced, and boy, she must have danced really good because when it was over, Herod looked at her and said, you know what, I'll give you anything you want up to half of the kingdom. It's yours, just say the word. And he said that in front of all of the officials. He said that in front of everyone. The daughter goes to the mom and says, hey, what do I ask for? Where the mom Herodias hated John the Baptist. The reason why she hated John the Baptist is because John the Baptist was calling her out because of her sin. She was married to Philip, Herod's brother, and then just did a, you know, just kind of did a 180 and left him and went over to King Herod. And so John was, was talking to her about that and calling her out on that. And as a result, she was upset. And at this time, John the Baptist was in prison. And so the daughter goes back and says, hey, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And Herod knew immediately he had been cornered and he had been controlled because he had said this in front of everyone so he couldn't take that word back. And so tragically, he took John the Baptist's life because of manipulation and control. But then you go back to the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 25 and it talks about two brothers, Jacob and Esau. Esau was the oldest brother and he was, he was one that would receive what they call the birthright. 
Now, back in that day, if you were the firstborn son, you were entitled to the birthright, which basically means that you were going to be the priest of the home. You were going to get a double portion of the inheritance. You had special rights. All of this was, was Esau's to have, but Jacob, the younger brother, hated him because of that. Jacob wanted the birthright. And so Esau goes out hunting one day, and he must have walked a lot because he comes back, and he is starving to death. But here is Jacob sitting in the kitchen cooking up some beef stew and some fresh-baked chocolate chip cookies. So here comes Esau. He walks in the door, and it smells like the home of Betty Crocker. And he's about to starve to death, and he says to his brother, fix me some stew. I want something to eat. I'm going to starve to death and die. And at that moment, it's almost as if Jacob looked at him and said, got you. Jacob wanted the birthright, and so he cornered him and tricked him into giving him the birthright because of manipulation and control. But then I think probably one of the most tragic demonstrations of this is in Judges chapter 16 where you've got Delilah who manipulated Samson. And if you know anything about Samson, you know Samson was this guy who was empowered with supernatural strength from time to time so that when the enemies, the Philistines, come against him, he would, he would also be filled with the Spirit of God and have supernatural strength where nobody could overcome him. And so he was killing these guys by the thousands. And so they devised a plan to get Delilah to go in kind of undercover. She was this good-looking seductress and to find out where the secret of his strength was. And so Delilah comes in and over and over and over, she kept nagging Samson. Where is your strength lie? Where does your strength lie? To the point where Judges chapter 16 verse 15 said, she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? How can you tell me you love me when you don't tell me what I want to know? Any lady recognize that? This is the third time... <laughs> you've made a fool out of me and you haven't told me your secret of your great strength. Now watch this verse 16, a key verse. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until my brother was sick to death. She just kept nagging and nagging and nagging. The King James Version says that he was vexed in his soul unto death. She kept on and on and on until Samson finally got to the point where he said, That's it. I surrender. Cut my hair. That's where my strength is. And Judges chapter 16 verse 20, this is not in your notes, is probably one of the most saddest scriptures in all of the Bible because she cut his hair. He was asleep. She cut his hair. He woke up. The Philistines were there. And she said, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he jumps up and says, no problem. I'll shake myself just like I did at times before. But there's a caveat in there because it says he did not realize the Lord had left him. God left him. Manipulation and control. She loved him, supposedly he loved her. And let me just kind of take a side note right here. Because God made all of us with the ability to love anyone. But the fact that you love someone doesn't mean that person is good for you. I am dropping some bombs already on you today. Everybody that says they love you don't love you, honey. God has given us the ability to love anybody... But just because we love somebody doesn't mean that's the person God wants us to have. 
And so tragically, we have allowed people to come into our lives that are literally trying to hurt us, but then at other times, they really may have our best interests at heart, and yet one way or another, they corner us, and they start to pull on our strings, they start to control us, and we end up surrendering the direction of our lives to someone other than God. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, how does manipulation work? How does it work? I want to give you three tactics real quick today on how manipulation works. Here's some tactics. Number one, guilt. After all I've done for you, and you're not going to do this for me, and you call yourself a Christian and you won't even. Oh, I see how it is. Okay. Okay, I see how it's going to be. You just, y'all go on. I'm going to be fine. Y'all just go on without me. I I won't eat nothing for two weeks. I'm going to be by myself all my life. But it's okay. Y'all go on without me. I'm going to be all right. And so whatever it is for you, there's, there's this guilt trip. And, and it could be somebody in your family. It could be a friend. It could be a coworker. It could even be your kids trying to make you feel guilty about something. And they say, well, you know, if you really loved me, oh, obviously you don't love me. And so there's the guilt tactic. But the second tactic that people oftentimes use is, is threats. Oh, you know, you're going to regret this if you don't do it. Oh, I tell you what, I'm not going to be your friend anymore. And yet, you know, I see this among kids all the time, and I have four, so I know what it's like. Because Caleb, who is our 11-year-old, he could be playing a game and playing with something. And Aiden, our 7-year-old, he wants to play with it. He wants to go in. He's like, hey, if you let me play it, I'll be your best friend. If you let me, I'm like, dude, you're brothers. <laughs> you're friends whether you want to be or not. And then Caleb's like, no, I'm not giving it to you. Oh, that's fine. I'm not going to be your friend anymore. It's over. And so we see this happening all the time through every generation. Well, I thought we were tight. I thought I could depend on you. You call yourself a Christian? And so there's these threats and threats and threats. But then here's the third tactic, flattery. You you got that person on the job? He's the greatest boss ever. Oh, I just, that, man, that presentation was just so amazing. You were so eloquent in your speech. Can I have next week off? And there's the flattery. Oh, look at, oh, you've been working out, haven't you? I like what you're doing with your hair. Can I have this? And so there's the flattery and all of these things, the guilt, the threats, the flattery. And, and, and listen, a lot of people who are really decent people, they really are, but they work their way into our lives, sometimes knowingly, And sometimes unknowingly, and they grab the strings of your life and they lead you to do something that you should not be doing. So here's the question we have to ask ourselves. What do we do when we recognize that someone is trying to manipulate or control us? What do we do in those moments? Because here's the thing that we don't want to do. We don't want to go in the flesh mode. We don't want to fight and try to impose our own will on the situation. We don't want to just walk away from it and pretend it didn't happen. So what do we do? We've got to sincerely seek the direction of God. To say, God, I need your wisdom here. I need your, your, your direction here because I'm dealing with something here and I want your will to be done and not mine. And it's amazing because the Bible is so full of examples on how people dealt with manipulation. And our greatest example is Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, I want to look at a story that we find in the life of Jesus and talk about how he handled manipulation. I want to pull three lessons out of that that we can apply to our own life. So if you're taking those, write this down. 
Number one, how do I deal with manipulation? How do I handle it? You have to recognize when someone is trying to manipulate you. You have to recognize it. And this could be hard. This is why I told you at the start, you've got to pray. You've got to seek the direction and the wisdom of God. You have to pray about that because so many of us have been in such dysfunctional relationships for so long, we don't even realize that somebody is leading us. We don't even realize that they're pulling our strings, causing us to do what they want us to do. They're leading and we're following. And so you've got to be able to recognize that. And it's interesting because when you talk about Jesus, there's an interesting story where he meets up with Peter. And it's him and Peter and they're having this dialogue together. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at Matthew chapter 16. Because Matthew chapter 16 lays out for us the greatest story on manipulation that you're going to ever read. Now, let me give you some backstory before we get into Matthew 16 verse 21. Jesus has got all his disciples sitting around him. And he asked them the question, who do men say that I am? And so the disciples start popping out names. Well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Isaiah. You're one of the prophets. And he said, yeah, I got all that. But who do you say I am? And here's Peter. Peter in this moment is elevated from zero to 60 all in one time. He is elevated right off the bat because Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And Jesus would go on to say, Peter, man, you're going to be a rock. I'm going to build my church on you. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. You're going to have access to God. In one breath, Peter is elevated immediately. And so now that Jesus says, hey, you guys know who I am, he starts to lay out one of his most vulnerable moments in all of his life. And he begins to tell his disciples what's getting ready to happen. Guys, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be beaten unrecognizable. They're going to hang me on a cross. I'm going to die, but I'm not going to stay there. Three days later, I'm coming back. This is God's plan for my life. And we see this spelled out in Matthew 16, 21 and 23. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, but on the third day, raised to life. Now watch this, verse 22. Peter is trying to take control of the situation. This same Peter, who was just given the keys of the kingdom, this same Peter, who went from zero to 60, elevated real quick, Watch what Peter does. The Bible says Peter took him aside. Why did Peter take him aside? Because manipulators often lose their power in groups. That's why when somebody wants to give you a piece of their mind, they pull you to the side. Because they lose their power in groups. And so Peter takes him aside. He isolates him. And what does he do? He began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. And what's interesting about this, and we have to acknowledge it, is that in some cases there are some people who are intentional manipulators. It could be the abusive husband who's using his power to, to get his family, his wife, his children to do what he wants them to do through tr threats and through force. It could be the wife who is intentionally withholding something from her husband, trying to get him to do what he wants, she wants him to do. It could be the bully who is threatening the younger, smaller kids at school. 
So there are some people who are very intentional with their manipulation. But I think one of the most common forms of manipulation, it isn't someone who dislikes you. It's someone who loves you and they just simply want what they believe is best for your life. And this is the case of Peter. Peter didn't dislike Jesus. Peter loved Jesus. Jesus, man, I love you. I don't want you to die. This isn't what you need to do. And so Peter, with his great intentions, was actually standing in between Jesus and God's plan for his life. He was in between there. You don't need to do this. This doesn't need to be this way. I love you. Don't do this. And so we have to recognize that there are times in our lives where there will be people that will come into our lives and they'll say, you know what? Nobody loves you like I do. No, you can't do that. You don't need to go that direction with your life. And you need to do something better. This is not the right thing for you. And so even though their intentions may be good, they're standing in between you and where God wants you to be. And this is why you have to be in such a relationship with Jesus Christ that you are laser focused on what it is He's called you to do in your life. Can I get on a little soapbox real quick? Most people today are saved in mind and lips only. There's no relationship. They come into church just to soothe the conscience, just to say, I went to church and I've got my ticket to heaven and I'm good, but there's no relationship. There's no cracking open God's word. There's no seeking God's face. There's no relationship. But listen to me. If you want to know the purpose and the plan for your life, which incidentally, two weeks from now, we're going to do a whole series on that. What is your purpose? How do I find out what God's called me to do? We're going to be talking about that. But you've got to be laser focused. You've got to be in tune with God. Jesus prayed for us to be one with him. In John chapter 17, 21, not in your nose, Jesus said, You are in me, Father, and I am in you. And then he says, may they, who's he talking about? He's talking about the church. May they be in us. We've got to be so in a relationship with Jesus Christ that we know that we know that we know what he's called us to do. It doesn't matter if somebody that really loves me, somebody that doesn't love me, it doesn't matter. Whoever tries to stand in between me and God's will for my life, I immediately recognize it and I sidestep it so that I don't get off base. But the problem is, so many of us, we're just running round and round in circles because the relationship piece is missing and we don't know what it is God's called us to do. And then we're going with every which way the wind blows. That's my soapbox. I'm going to get back to the Word. (laughs) So how do you recognize when someone is trying to manipulate or control you? Let me give you two two ways that I think we we can recognize this. Number one is you often feel guilty and find it hard to say yes. You feel guilty and find it hard to say yes. And for some of you in here, there's someone in your life and you feel like you are totally 100% responsible for them. They'll call you up and you'll drop everything you're doing right then. And I'm not talking about your children. They'll call you up and you'll be there. You'll do it over and over and over again. Because you feel like you're responsible for them. And you feel like if you ever say, no, I can't, I won't, not anymore, you feel guilty about that. You ready for the second one? 
you compromise your values to please others. You could be the girl and you're dating the guy and he's the one. I mean, he's six foot, six pack, six figures, baby. He is all that and a bag of chips. But how many of you know triple sixes is never good? I'm just saying. But you've got you a man and all of a sudden he starts pushing you to do something you don't want to do. Well, you know, if you really loved me, well, you know, if you don't, I'll just find somebody who will. And so what happens is because you love him, you compromise your values. Listen to me right now. Lean in. You will compromise your values to someone who loves himself more than he loves you. Because if he really loves you, he will never see you compromise your values. And I see people doing this all of the time. And it's the same way with men, because some women nowadays, whoo, they are aggressive. And if you've got whether a man or a woman, and they come into your life, and they're causing you to do something to compromise your values, then you need to recognize that that is a form of manipulation. You could have those friends, and they're like, hey, let's go over here. Let's go to the club. Let's do this. Let's do that. And you're like, you know what? No, that's just not a good place for me to be. I don't want to go there. And all of a sudden, oh, you're a Christian now. You're holier than thou. And then listen, it's not that they hate you. They don't. They love you. And they just want you to come along with them. But they will allow manipulation to set in and lead you to do something you shouldn't be doing. And so you've got to recognize when someone is trying to manipulate you. That's lesson number one. Are you ready for lesson number two? Lesson number two, put healthy boundaries in place. Put healthy boundaries in place. And listen, you could not put a bigger boundary in place than Jesus did to Peter when Peter said, no, I'm not going to let you die. Watch this, verse 23. Jesus turned to Peter and said, what? Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but the concerns of man. I am not saying you need to run around and call everybody Satan. Not saying that. But there are some people that can come into your life that can actually be a stumbling block to you. And they can lead you to do something that's not really helping them, but ultimately is hurting you. And I see this with my kids all the time. My kids will get friends and, and it's good, but then I start noticing their attitude changes. I start noticing you're not acting like you used to act. You, you, where, what happened to the angel I had? Where, where did he go? And then they, oh, it ain't me, it's you. It's all your fault. And I'm like, no, who are you hanging out with? Well, you told me to love everybody, so I'm loving. I said, bro, no, let's draw the line. <laughs> it's more than love, buddy. But you understand what I'm saying. There are people that will come in, and they'll actually be a stumbling block to you. How many of you know that kids can be a stumbling block? You're in Walmart and that three-year-old is falling down in the middle of the floor, kicking and screaming and flopping like a dead fish because you won't buy him a piece of candy. And so what do you as a parent do? Oh, it's all right. I'm going to get you this candy just this one time. Well, guess what happened? Now that child loves you. That child depends on you. But that child learns something real quick. All I got to do is fall out and show off up in Walmart and mama will get me whatever I want her to get. And so there's got to be times where you need to look at that child and say, you know what? You can keep flopping like a dead fish all you want to. You're not getting any candy. And when we get home, you're not getting any candy the rest of the week. Matter of fact, you're not getting any candy the rest of the month. So just lay there if you want. I'm going home. 
You have to set up those boundaries. And it could be that you say to that friend, listen, you can pout, you can hang up, you can threaten, you can do what you want to do, but it's not going to work anymore. I'm not going down that road. Go ahead and follow through on your threats, but you need to know this is not biblical love. This is not mutual submission and it's not going to work on me. Go ahead and threaten. But what do you do? You take your power back in a loving way and you don't allow them to control you anymore. And I believe that with all of my heart that there may be some of you in here today and there is a situation that you're in right now where there could be a person that's standing in between you and where God wants you to be. And only you know who that is. Only you know what's going on. And listen, these are people that have good intentions. Peter had great intentions. Lord, I love you. I don't want this to happen to you. And what was he doing? He was coming in between the plan that God had for his life. And so listen, why is it so important that you not allow someone else to lead you like that? Because if you do that, you are actually committing the sin of idolatry. That's how serious it is. Because they are misdirecting you off of what God wants you to do. And anybody that you put above the leadership of God becomes your God. And so when you do that, God says, listen, I'm not going to tolerate this. Exodus chapter 20, verse 2 and 3, it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have what? No other gods before me. So you need to put up some healthy boundaries. Take your power back again in a loving way. And then lesson three. Are you guys getting anything out of this today? You're real quiet on me today. Which means this is really, really good or I've totally missed it. Lesson number three. Here's the big one because remember I told you at the beginning, all of us are guilty of this. See your own need to control and surrender everything to God. And listen, guys, I cannot speak on your behalf, but I can talk about me. And, and sometimes I have an ungodly desire to control everything. I tell my family all the time, God loves you, and I have a wonderful plan for your life. And it's true in my marriage. I want Misty to do what I want her to do. And I'm saying this because she's not in the service at this time. She is working in the nursery today. <laughs> I missed her. <laughs> Somebody's texting her, telling me, you need to get in here right now. <laughs> so, Missy and I have this thing that we do. And so every night, she fixes my plate for supper. It's, it's just something she's always done. She spoiled me. It's just the way it is. And so I walked into the kitchen the other night. My plate won't made. So I'm just standing there. I'm just kind of like, where, where is it at? She's like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Just finish it yourself tonight. I said, no, ma'am. No, we're not starting this because I give you a little leash. It'll all be gone. Ain't going to happen. How many of you know I fixed my own plate that night? <laughs> but I want to control. I want her to do what I want her to do. Same thing with my kids. I want them to do what I want them to do. Same thing with my finances. Same, it's, it's, it's the same thing with life. We want people to do what we want them to do. And then we have to ask ourselves, why is that? Why do we like to be in control? I think there's two reasons. Number one, 
Because we're afraid of surrendering to someone or something else. We don't want to surrender to someone. We don't want to surrender to something else. We want to be in control. Why? Because number two, we believe we make a better God than God. And so we want to be in control. And you want to be in control. And I want to be in control. And chances are pretty good if you're a person that likes to be in control, it's because you're afraid of letting go. And ultimately, we believe we make a better God than God. But how many of you know we don't make a good God because we don't see the whole picture and we don't have that much power. And yet we try to control and manipulate. But here's what I want you to understand. You will never have the relationship that God wants you to have with Him as long as you're trying to control and manipulate everything. So there are times when I have to give God my family. I have to say, Lord, these are yours. I have four kids. Two of them are teenagers. I am convinced, if you've ever been there, you know what the statement I'm getting ready to make. I am convinced that nobody prays like a parent of a teenager. And all the parents who have had teenagers said, thank you for being honest. I have to give my kids to him. Lane and Samantha, they may start going in a direction that I don't like, and Misty has to constantly remind me, Samantha's 18. She's 18. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but, but she still lives here. She's 18. You know, she's a little boyfriend thing. I like him. I don't. I love him. He's a great guy. He's a great guy. He is. He's a godly man, but he, he's dating my daughter. This is why none of the kids would ever talk to any of my children right here. Not here in this church. And I told her the other day, I said, baby, I, I love you. Don't you realize that I'm telling you something good? And she said, I know you love me. And that's why you need to trust me. I said, yes, ma'am. We've got to surrender our family to God. I surrender Misty to God. I surrender my kids to God. I surrender my finances to God. I surrender my health to God. Because sometimes what we try to do is we try to play that game with God. Well, Lord, if you don't heal me and if I don't get a good doctor's report, I'm not going to serve you anymore. Do you understand that God is God and He's going to be glorified through whatever He chooses to do? He's God. And so we have to come to the realization to say, Lord, none of this is mine anyway. It's yours. It's been yours since the beginning of time, so I trust you. Let me give you one more verse today. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. This really needs to be a life verse, if you will. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. You will keep in perfect peace. Stop right there. You will keep in perfect peace. Can I tell you something? I don't know many people in perfect peace. I know a lot of people that are in perfect turmoil. They're in, they're, they're, they're in perfect uh, abuse. They're in perfect fear. They're in perfect anxiety. They're in perfect all of these things. But I don't know too many people who are in perfect peace. But he said he'll keep you in perfect peace if your minds are steadfast 
because they trust in you. And then I love verse 4. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. He's my eternal rock. So there's things in life that we're not going to understand. There's things that we're going to have to walk through. There's battles we're going to have to face. There's things we're going to have to fight through. I I get all of that. We're going to have to deal with people all of the time. But God has laid out some, some great principles for us to follow to say, hey, let's do life God's way, not the flesh way. Let's don't fight and flight over everything in life. Let's choose to say, God, I'm going to surrender my life to you. And I'm giving you everything I have. I'm going to give you my kids. I'm going to give you my family. I'm going to give you my finances. I'm going to give you my health. I'm going to give you everything I got. Trust in the Lord always, for He is the eternal rock. Listen to me. If you try to control everything in your life, I promise you, you will always have less than God's best. Stand with me all over the house. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for moments like this to stand in your presence. And to hear from you. And God, I believe with all of my heart that you, you've spoken to us today. And God, at the end of the day, we have to be so in tune with you. That Lord, there is no doubt in our minds that we know the plan. We know the purpose. We know the direction. So that if anything or anyone comes in between that, God, we won't get off base. But we'll stay focused on you. And so, God, we love you today. We love you. Would you bow your heads with me all over the house, if you would? Guys, understand, all of this starts with a relationship. If we don't have the relationship piece, then i got to be honest, I don't really know that we have much of anything. It starts with the relationship. And so, if you're in here today, you say, Pastor, man, I've, I've been hearing this and, and God has really been speaking to my heart. And you know what? I'm tired of doing life my own way. I'm ready to surrender everything I've got to Him. I want that perfect peace in my heart and in my life. I, I want that to happen. So, so God, I need you. And I know that accepting you does not guarantee me that everything's going to be smooth. It doesn't guarantee me that my life's not going to bump up against troubles and trials and tribulation. But what it does guarantee me is that there is a peace in my heart and mind that I cannot understand. And I give you praise for it. So if you're in here today and you say, you know what, Pastor Man, today's my day. I want to go all in for Jesus Christ. I want to accept Him. Could you be willing to lift a hand right now and say, Pastor, that's me. I want to accept Him today. Seize the hand. I want to accept Him today. I'm tired of living my life my own way. I want to receive him into my heart and into my life. Look at me all over the house. This is something we do as a family. Because this is the greatest day of anybody's life when they choose to say, I'm going all in for Jesus Christ. And I'm giving him my heart and I'm giving him my life. So we pray this as a family. Could you pray this with me? Father, thank you for moments like this. Lord, I believe that you are God's son. 
and you're seated right on the right hand of him. And so, Lord Jesus, I ask you to cleanse me, create in me a new heart, renew in me a right spirit. I give my life to you. I surrender everything to you. Lord, use me for your glory. In Jesus' name. And everybody in the house said amen. Come on, give God a big hand clap of praise all over this place. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it in your heart, I want you to take that Connect card in the seat in front of you, and I want you to check that box and say, I received Christ as my Savior. Give me some information. I personally want to reach out to you. I want to talk to you, and I want to connect you with some people in this church that can help you on this journey. I love you guys. I will be back next Sunday. We've got uh, some ushers outside. It's raining. They will get you to your car with an umbrella over your head. And don't forget, Hallapalooza. Hallapalooza this Thursday night, 5 o'clock. Candy, inflatables, games. Everybody needs to come out and be a part. I love you guys. I'll see you next week.